Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number 19. I'm your host, Josh, joined as always by the casual Jared Benson. Jared, how is life for you, my friend? It is windy. I did not expect Oklahoma to be this windy when I moved here, but honestly, I love it. My hair blows in the wind. Uh, I'm constantly singing that Broadway musical, and uh, it's good. Life is good. Uh, spring, spring in the Northeast where I was raised is always muddy. I hated spring. Spring was my least favorite season, but here in Oklahoma, mm. everything's nice and dry. The weather is perfection, and I'm loving it. Uh, how about you, my friend? Good. Doing well here. Yeah, learned some interesting things about humidity recently and how to effectively <laughs> run the AC in your Florida apartment. So learn new things every day. Uh, I guess I never had to think about it when I was in college because I was in a dorm, but uh, just learning uh, prevention tactics against black mold and things has been fairly interesting. We actually had to, so I, I, I hesitate to say this publicly, but I don't think anyone's really going to turn me in for this, but my, my school, the, the housing that I'm in does not require, does not allow rather pets and we have a cat. <laughs> so we've been having him around. He's been doing his own thing. And we got a message from maintenance saying they're going to come in and check our HVAC system. And so we pulled Operation Hide the Kitty Cat today. And it was a very eventful time <laughs> and tons of fun. <laughs> um, so we like we had to hide everything. My wife like took him and left in the car as soon as the maintenance people showed up. She went out the back door. It was all very hush hush, and she stressed out about it. If she knew I was talking about this, uh, she'd probably start to lose some sleep. So I'll make sure she doesn't know, <laughs> and she doesn't listen to the podcast anyway. So we'll be fine. But yeah, so that's <laughs> that's been fun. Um, learning a lot of things about Florida for sure. Jared, do you know what the the Dust Bowl was? The Dust Bowl. That historic event, yes, on the Great Plains. No, when I think of bowl, when everyone says like dust bowl or something, I think of college football. So, uh, no, <laughs> I have no clue. Is there a dust bowl, like a cup or something like that tournament? I don't know. I don't watch college ball. That's for rookies. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, the dust bowl, uh, it, I just brought it up because you're talking about how windy things are, um, happened at the worst possible time in American history. It was right after... The Great Depression hit, so the stock market crashed, and then literally the next year, um, we, there was a huge drought on the Great Plains. The breadbasket of the United States and all the crops dried up, and then all the wind that's on the plains, so like what you're experiencing in Oklahoma, just swept everything up, took over the top layer of the soil, and literally created like giant dust tornadoes and like killed cattle like cattle died from this thing and coated homes and obviously made things uh, to the point where people couldn't have harvest so it is a staple that wind those great plains wind is a staple it was because of the wind that the dust bowl was so bad so you're getting a little taste i guess when it rains it pours yeah yeah i guess god was like oh you guys are having a hard time all right let's Dial it up a couple more notches and see how you do. Um, in any case, this is Bard's Backlog, the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the Hall of Games. We are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate, including today's. Write into us at 
our email, askvgb at gmail.com. You can, of course, support the podcast by giving our social media's a, social media posts, excuse me, I'm reading a little too fast, a like, following us there on your podcast service of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Pocket Cast. You should be able to follow us, even get a little notification bell for when we drop these episodes. They're a little bit more sporadic on the Bard's Backlog side of things, but check them out when they do drop. Or you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or those other platforms. Those certainly help us reach a bigger audience. Check out the Red Pixel podcast if you are not interested in Bard's Backlog's deep dives. Red Pixel is more news-based. You're going to have to wait a couple weeks because I am very busy right now trying to catch up. I'm, I'm essentially cramming two months of a college course into a little under two weeks so and i'm losing this weekend jared my parents are coming out so no work is getting done this weekend so it'll be fun catching up on that i did this to myself but uh i'm excited to get all that done but because of that red pixel is going to be on the back burner but we could not stop bard's backlog it is too crucial and so the show must go on Last time, we talked about Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle, and Jared, quite honestly, that episode should have been titled Revenge of the Casual. <laughs> oh, I should have called it that. I just, it was, it was a, and go back and listen to it. It was, it was a fun episode. Um, really, a little bit of a plot twist, gut punch at the end. Although, to be honest, listening back on it, I, I do agree with you. Like, I was thinking about it. If if it was a... And we, we brought this point up, but, like, if it was a Rabbids-only game, like, just in the Rabbids aesthetic, just in the Rabbids world, I would not care how good the gameplay was, you know? And, right. And so, taking that into account and thinking through, like, yeah, if it was all Mario, it probably would be top tier. Um, and, and, and I was, it would be, it would be a classic. I'm convinced. Yeah. And, 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 you know, at first I was kind of thinking like, oh, you know, maybe it's not our cup of tea. It might be for a younger audience, but I don't think that's an excuse. Um, so I still agree with the verdict. It was, it was a sad thing in the moment, but I, I think it was the right call in the end. So go ahead and check out that episode. That one was certainly a good one. And before we get into the meat of this particular podcast, Jared, I have a quick question for you. So, let me give some context. I am a history teacher. My students, and that's why I brought up the Dust Bowl earlier, but my students just took a quiz over the president's of the United States. And I just thought it'd be timely to ask Jared, who is your favorite president in U.S. history? I thought you were going to ask me to list them all. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. Let's let's hear it. (laughs) No, 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 no. I've never been able to do that. I was homeschooled. Um, (laughs) The, (laughs) no, my, you know, that's, that's tough. I feel like I don't know enough about each one of them to, to uh, make that decision just because, like, think about it. Like, I love Obama as a statesman. He's a smooth talker. He's, he's got common sense on his brain. He's really good at connecting with young people, the next generation. But I don't like a lot of his policies. 
So it's you know it's tough. Like in what way are we talking about it? I would I would just say like the easiest one to like in my mind, thinking back, is Teddy Roosevelt, just hmm. for being good old Teddy, for being a man's man, for constantly outrunning his Secret Service so he could go do crazy stuff. Bully. Um. I, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. Bully. I, <laughs> totally with you. So that easy to like him. Um. But then again, I I think back too of you know Andrew Jackson, who would actually probably be an absolute killer on twitter today oh yeah with how uh, vocal he was oh, you know what i mean gosh, like yeah. so it's hard to pick uh i to be honest with you this may be a cop-out but i love the humility of george washington and abraham lincoln yeah uh, the humility of lincoln to keep trying and then washington you know uh, lincoln trying to be a statesman repeatedly because he believed so much in the ideals that he had and then washington being so reluctant to take the mantle of commander-in-chief because he didn't feel that he deserved it and uh, I think both of those types of men are absolutely necessary in politics. And uh, so I probably Washington, to be honest with you, just because he strikes me as a man fit to be the number one, yeah. the first guy, uh, and really set the bar. So, uh, and his life story is incredible as well. So, yeah, probably him. I'd I'm say, assuming you have an answer. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. Um, you actually already brought him up. It'd be Andrew Jackson, which is a very controversial statement. Yes, uh, yes. He was against the the Federal Bank. Like, that's a huge thing. Of course, now today we have the Federal Reserve, which has screwed our monetary system and has given us all the inflation we have and so on. And Jackson was very against the concept in the first place. He was also, like, um, authoritarian, but in, I think, a valuable way. You know, when you think mm. back to, like, Greek history, you had tyrants, and that's where the term tyranny comes from. But, like, you had your good tyrants and you had your bad tyrants. And right. Jackson, right. because he assumed a little bit more control than presidents before him did, was called a tyrant, was called a king. But I think he really exemplified, like, the limits of presidency, but then also the responsibility of the presidency as well. Um, so, I, and, and he's he's crazy, He's hilarious on his inauguration speech. Literally, crowds broke into the White House and were drunk and were swinging from chandeliers and did, like, thousands of dollars in property damage. And he <laughs> he had to sneak out the back window, but he was, like, totally chill with it at the same time. And he almost got assassinated. He literally, the guy popped up out of a bush, tried to shoot him twice, both of the pistols stalled, and he turned on the dude and beat him within an inch of his life with a with a cane so oh my goodness like that's the kind of guy he was he did like i think he had like 50 duels in his life or something like that it's in the double digits where he just was like putting his life on the line he's just a crazy guy and even before that he was a general you know so like right he's just yes. very colored individual totally defined his time in government of course people hate him for the way that he treated native americans which is fair um, but again, a man of his own time. So who's to say, you know, like you can't cast judgment, like check the moat in your own eye first. Like it is what it is. But, and then, yeah, being on Twitter today, he'd be fantastic. So I'd say at Jackson, he's kind of an unconventional pick, but I'd pick Jan Jackson, but bringing up Washington and Lincoln, to be honest, like they are in my mind, the only S tier presidents that we have. Like you got. S tier, A tier, B tier. I'd say Jackson is in the A tier, personally. 
but he doesn't even reach S tier. I would say like Washington certainly is an S tier, and then Lincoln would be the only other one. I really can't think of anyone else that compares to those two men. And it is astounding to me that people on the left today are turning against Lincoln. I literally cannot comprehend it. But it's because we live in a generation of people who have forgotten their history or have not been taught it at all. There's studies of students who get to college to get to a state university and they the freshmen who are entering college know more about our American history than the seniors who are graduating from it, which is incredible to me. And it's just a sad, sorry state of affairs that our education system is in today. And that's why you see such amazing individuals like Lincoln coming under attack. Uh, that being said, there are, of course, all kinds of really great men, really brilliant men, some who are totally deserving of the office, who weren't able to fully see it through. Uh, I think Garfield as one of those individuals, maybe even Hayes in his own way. So a lot of interesting individuals. I'd say quick shout out too to William Henry Harrison for knowing <laughs> that he, you know, that <laughs> I guess knowing is the wrong word, but like for going in there and just doing the job very quickly and getting out through death. <laughs> so uh, the, the shortest president we've had in office. I, I, when we wrote, do you remember the president skit that we did? Yes. So I put Harrison oh, in there man. just as a gag. He was like the running gag through the whole thing. Um, and all the other presidents that were there were like making fun of him because he served so briefly amount of time. I think only a month. I think he died a month after he caught uh, pneumonia from his inauguration speech so he caught covid <laughs> yeah his covid is he was he was the og covid death. <laughs> he was yeah so <laughs> really funny left the country in disarray congress was so mad that harrison died so shout out to william henry harrison may you rest in peace um do you have a least favorite president by any by any chance no, I again, I have to apologize for not having a very educated answer for you. I know only what I've read in history books. And as you know, history books just don't go that deep. They have a lot of ground to cover. Um, you so are I, educated I really on the subject, though. Even just based on your original response, you know more than the typical well, read, American, I would say. I've read biographies, but I read them a while ago. So I, I guess that's my lament. But um, no, least mm. favorite? I, I I couldn't choose one. Just, I, I just really don't know. I, like I, I guess the first I guess name the FDR. Okay, FDR. Okay. Because what it seems to be is the 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 beginnings of the welfare state and the beginnings of I don't even want to get into all of it, but but a lot of that stuff that the bad economic habits that we have now yeah. were kicked into gear in FDR's uh you know his multi-term presidency. So yeah. you ain't wrong. Yeah, pro- but. But I don't know anything about I, – I know his wife was an excellent woman. You know what I mean? He could have been an excellent gentleman. And uh, there's plenty of people that really dislike George W. Bush's policies but also say he was an excellent man. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there's there's a lot to be said and, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think mo- – like I, I, I appreciate American history because most, if not all, of our presidents have been good men. Sure, I, sure. I really, I honestly believe that in on some level. Um, and Roosevelt's the same. He he was a he was a go getter. He he beat polio. Like he caught polio, and instead of giving into yep. it, he fought it. Yep. He worked hard at it. He exercised. He ate well. 
Like he did not take it lying down. And Oh yeah. So like that's ad- that's an admirable quality. Like sure I don't agree with his policies and he had a wrong view of of what I think government should be doing, but still a, a solid man. And there Yeah. But and and single-handedly pulled us out of the depression and used the war to to that to uh to that effect yeah. as well. So Yeah. Um I'd say some least right fa- and some wrong. I'd say least favorite for me would go to Carter just personally. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I think he I think he almost lost the Cold War for us. If he had been elected mm. another term, I don't think we'd be where we are today. And even today mm. we're kind of teetering on the edge of things, but he oh, really yeah, in man. 4 years, such a short time, took us down, like really just pulled the country down in in a lot of really unfortunate ways. And I I think he found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was not equipped for the position. And so I, I would say Carter for my pick. Mm. But other people you could throw in there, at least on the conservative side of things, would be like Wilson, um, Truman, LBJ, so on and Coolidge. so forth. Coolidge. Yeah, well, no, Coolidge is a, is typically considered a, a good president. Oh, you were talking negative. Sorry. My yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. I, I, was <laughs> I was listening um, ones that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. But yeah, Coolidge is so, – people love Coolidge. I Like almost every single one of the history teachers that I had would fawn over Coolidge and like drool. <laughs> and I didn't really find him that exciting. From what I understand, he didn't do a whole lot. No, and that's why a lot of them love right. him. Um, oh. <laughs> the idea of limited government, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> but he also kind of like bailed out. Like, if you kind of read the way things went, he de- he declined to run a second term, and it's almost as if he saw the Great Depression coming and didn't want to do anything about it. Oh man! Because it hits right after him. It's Hoover that goes right. through the depression. So like, right. I almost feel like he was like, oh, I'm just gonna wash my hands of this and move on. So I don't know. I mean, I appreciate that he was, you know, Christian and he spoke very few words and whatnot, but um, I don't necessarily pick him as top of the top. All right. Anyway, enough about history. Sorry. Just nerding out there a little bit. Uh, It's the end of the year. All right. So over the summer, we'll have less history-esque things going on, (laughs) but I'm just enthralled in all of it right now. But let's go ahead and jump into the games we play in. Jared, why don't you kick us off with this segment? Well, the I, I I will mention briefly that today I finally pulled the trigger and bought all of the extra characters for Super Smash Brothers. Nice. Um, I used I used my tax return money <laughs> to, to buy all the characters. Um, so that was fun. That was a little gift to myself today, and put the rest in savings and uh, and bought some Dogecoin. Don't tell. Um, but anyway, so I did that, and then but the only game that I've been playing, Josh is Phoenix Immortals Rising The Lost Gods DLC. This is the third and I think final, as far as we know, DLC to drop for uh, Phoenix. Okay, so and this is it's, final. For now I think so. I, I could be wrong. They might do more. I don't know. Um, uh, but but it is a totally different game. And 
Josh, I know you've been playing it. I would love to hear your thoughts as well. But I, actually I, I haven't. will no, say, um, when we, oh, you haven't? Oh, okay. Yeah, Excuse when we me. had a conversation, I was kicking around the idea of getting it because it was so different. Um, but actually, after the the text conversation we had, I've I've held off on it. I'll probably wait. Like if if I see the season pass on a sale, I'll, I'm gonna hundred percent pick sure. it up. Um, yes. But I just haven't been I haven't been convinced enough to pull the trigger on the full price. So yeah, and I I would agree with that. I think um, none of the DLCs really, except maybe the a new god DLC, are worth purchasing. Um, but but that's also my preference, and I'll explain what I mean. So the the new the the lost gods follows the Ash as she is being helped by Phoenix, who is now a god. Um, and Phoenix helps Ash, and you are learning all your moves. But you're playing from a third person perspective. It actually looks a lot like like the distance you would see from your characters with like League, for instance, like right. that distance away from your character. It's a bit far off. The, uh, you cannot called, move the camera up. It's called um, isometric something um sure yeah so you you're playing from that distance and for some reason the combat feels different this is my biggest gripe with the game it could just be that i'm not used to being down in it like i was with phoenix being right close to the character but the dodging feels so much less fluid this is one of the complaints if i i was talking to my friend today about it this is one of the complaints with dark souls i think three was that the attacks that some of the uh, bosses would throw at you seemed to change direction mid dodge. Hmm. There was an issue with like course correction in their attack. They would swing an axe, and if you dodge, they would like move the axe and hit you anyway. And to be honest with you, that perfectly described. It's just funny that he and I had this conversation today. That perfectly described how I felt that the new combat for uh, the Lost Gods was. It, it felt really unfair, and maybe I'm just a bad gamer, but I didn't struggle at all with Phoenix. So I don't know what went wrong there, but maybe it's just me. I don't know. It was done by a different Ubisoft studio, uh, Ubisoft Quebec in Canada. But I don't know. I just don't like it nearly as much. The storyline's cool. I do like Ash. I do like that you're incorporating uh, Demeter and Poseidon, and it's cool, you know, to see Ubisoft's take on those Greek gods. You know, when we, you know, we've all been recently playing Hades and such. But uh, yeah, I don't think that it's worth the price just because it's not as enjoyable to me. I will eventually pick it up and finish it, but uh, for now, I'm enjoying my new Smash Brothers characters. You said you felt like you would have enjoyed it more if it was from the original perspective. Do you not feel yes. like the attempt at originality has any value to it? No, no, no. I, I do. I always, I, you know, I will always say that an attempt at originality is is excellent and definitely points. And I, I score anime that way. I score shows. Anytime you try to do something new and unique and on your own, that's fine. The problem is that this wasn't actually truly unique. It was just a different camera angle, and and that that's where I'm struggling with it. It's like it's you're not doing anything new and unique. Um, you're it's the same build up. Uh, it's the same style of gameplay. It's just done from a different angle, and it's not as enjoyable. Um, gotcha. so I, the, the different ways that you level up and you have to collect health while you battle, I don't know. It's, it's different. It's just a lesser different in my mind. Um, but you know, that's, that's just my preference. I'm sure, um, if you like that style of combat, you will, you'll probably really enjoy it. And the story, again, the story I'm, I am enjoying. So there's that. Okay. Well, along those lines, a couple of the games I played these last couple weeks since our last podcast have been ones that I was continuing 
that we talked about before. So I've been slowly chipping away at Super Mario 3D World. It's a really easy... I, I've beaten the game before, so I wasn't, like, hyped to see the end or anything. So um, I've beaten it in the past. So I, I've just been, like, anytime I don't really know what to play or I'm, you know, going to go take a dump really fast and I have 10 minutes, like, I'll pick up 3D World and play a couple levels. Like, it's just really nice for that. Thank God for the handheld version of the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep, for sure. Um, and it's a fantastic Mario game. Highly recommend it, but I did finish that. Um, fun, enjoyable. I'm playing through it co-op with my wife, too, on our own separate save, so really fun. Uh, but been playing that. I also finished Ratchet & Clank, the, uh, the remake from 2016. Loved it. It's gotten me so hyped. Actually, that Sony just had a state of play today over the new Ratchet and Clank, and I am like chomping at the bit. I told Karina today, like, I want to get a PS5. Like, I am serious about getting a PS5 just for Ratchet and Clank. And yeah. she countered with, "Oh, but I already said I was going to get an Apple Watch," and so we're we're at odds. There's a bit of a standoff oh, going on right now. <laughs> um. So we'll see what happens. I probably will end up getting it, but I am just, I love that series. Uh, the game was awesome. It, it's fun. It's lighthearted. And I, I cannot wait until I can get my hands on Rift Apart and Ratchet and Clank just really wet my whistle for that. I don't know if that's an appropriate term to use anymore, but uh, I use that in its classical meaning. So Ratchet and Clank, <laughs> <laughs> finish that out. The only other game I've been playing that isn't, one I've talked about before is Risk of Rain 2. I am thoroughly surprised by this game. So it's, I don't know a whole lot about the story. I haven't been paying close attention to it, but the premise is that you are a spacefarer, a, a space traveler, and you land on a hostile planet. And your goal is to kind of learn about the planet and activate totems and survive as long as you can. And it's a it's a roguelike, so like a Hades, mm. where when you mm. die it resets. There's not any narrative hook like Hades has, but you it you land on the planet, you immediately start fighting, enemies are spawning all around you, so you're like constantly shooting and trying to get out of there and trying to, you know, move strategically and dodge at proper times. There's multiple different characters with different abilities, as well as a lot of different weapons that you can unlock. Now, I've only put in probably an hour and a half, maybe two hours into it. Very quick runs. Like, my first couple of runs lasted a minute and a half to three mm. minutes. Like, it is a hard game. Like, those aliens come at you and will wreck you. And it's fun. It's it's really well designed on the gameplay side of things. It feels good. I, I, I've I only gotten past the first totem. So, like, you go and you have to find... So it's like this generic area that you land in. And then you have to go and find the totem in the area. It's always random. You never know where it's going to be. And then after that, it basically activates a boss. And you have to beat the boss. And then from there, you explore other parts of the world. And I just barely beat the totem last time I played it. I was on like an eight-minute run. Uh, and it has this really interesting um, concept where as you stay alive, the game gets harder. So like in the corner, you can see it clicking away as time goes on. So you can run away all you want at the start of the game from all the enemies. But it's going to get 
to a harder level of difficulty and then it gets harder and harder so you will eventually die um and it's fun i really like it it apparently has a really really good multiplayer unfortunately i don't have friends <laughs> so <laughs> much less friends to play risk of rain 2 with me but it's very interesting it's a small indie game i i honestly like looking at it it doesn't seem that impressive but i have thoroughly enjoyed it and i'll probably still play that from time to time that has been in addition to ever since i beat mario 3d world that's been like my 10 minute quick session go to and have been enjoying that all right let's go ahead and jump into our next segment then and that is the strange the bizarre the ethereal default segment Jared, I got a good one for you. Uh, I was listening to a previous podcast, and I decided to bring back the real or fake default segment. All right? Okay. So, and I decided to theme this one after our pick from last week, Mario plus Rabbids. So, here's how this is going to work. Jared, I need you to tell me whether these weapons, these guns, are real in that they are in Mario plus Rabbids or they're fake and I made them up. All right. Okay. So I'm okay. going to read the name to you and you need to tell me if that is a real weapon you can use in Mario plus Rabbids. And my goodness, this was so much fun to put together. There are so many <laughs> weird weapons. I had yes, no idea. There are. I did not oh, pay attention man. to the names. Um, so let's see how much you were paying attention, how much you remember. First one. Suction destruction. Uh, that one's real. That one sounds like that one sounds like a weapon Luigi would use. You are correct. I think it's his base weapon. Yep. Gotcha. Suction destruction. Number two, Bois bazooka. That one is also real. That seems like one uh, rabid Luigi would use. That's fake. Oh, that one is fake. How is Bois Bazooka not real? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I I just, you know, I, I thought about it. I was like, Bois would be a really easy. Okay, so there are other Bois weapons, so I yes. kind of cheated in getting inspiration. No, 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 no. No, that's fair. Wow. You got me. The Bois Bazooka is fake. Number three, Kimono No No. Okay. Kimono No No. I'm, I'm a, Kimono No No is probably... <sighs> I think that's Peach's weapon. I think that one's real. It is real. Yes. Hell in a shell. That one's fake. That's real. Oh! <laughs> Are you keeping track who uses these weapons? I don't have it in front of me. No, I okay, right. the names. I that's probably fair. should have because you're right. It's all different people. Um, but you can, I mean, if you do a quick Google search of the name, and then put Mario plus Rabbids in there. It'll tell gotcha, you which gotcha. one it was. I think a lot of these early ones were the blasters that Mario or Rabbit Peach used. So Yes. Yeah. Sons of Buanarchy. No, that one's fake. You made that one up. That's real. What? <laughs> oh, shoot. 
bling machine. That one is real. That one's uh, Rabbit Peach. You are correct. That one is real. A Slava to Lava. Oh, my goodness. That one sounds uh, real. I don't know which character, though. That's fake. What? Wow, dude. I'm impressed. That's very creative. <laughs> <laughs> no Pity Kitty. Uh, that one is... That one's fake. It's real. Wow. Pink Struggle Passion. Bus. That one sounds real. That one sounds like a rabbit peach. That's fake. <laughs> wow. Dude, I'm impressed by you. Kiss Me Softly. Well, now I just want to say it's real. <laughs> um, no, I think that one's fake. You are correct. That one is fake. Uh-huh. There you go. Uh-huh. Got, got, an, got a W on there. Wiener Whacker. That one's real. That one's real. You're I've seen right. that one. <laughs> you know who that's who's that was? I remember who's I think that that's, was. I think that's Donkey Kong. You are correct. Yep. That's, yeah. that's DK. Bwantasaurus Rex. I don't remember a dinosaur-shaped one, but that sounds correct. I'm going to say that one's real. That is real, yes. Lawn Ornament Agony. Lawn. What's the last word? Lawn Ornament what? Agony. Like that pain. one's real. That is real. That one is uh, <laughs> Cranky Rabbit. Cranky Rabbits, okay. Gag Me With a Spoon. Oh, my God. Uh, I think you made that one up. No, that one's real. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) They actually named a gun that? Oh my gosh. Egg (laughs) Creamer. That one's real. That one's Yoshi. You're right. (laughs) That one is, that one is real. Quiver like a snake. I think that one is also real. That sounds like Rabbit Luigi. That's fake. Oh, my goodness. Erotically charged. What? <laughs> um, real. It's fake. <laughs> oh! I'm just disappointed in you at this point. In me? Because <laughs> no, I thought of these bad ones. <laughs> these no, ones. no, these are really good. I cannot tell the difference. Heavy artillery. Artillery? I yeah, think so that like one lily is... Lily like a flower. Yeah, yeah, that one is real. That is Yoshi's weapon. You're correct. That one is real. Okay, two more. Wrath of the Dragon. Wrath of the Dragon. That one's fake. It's real. Oh, my gosh. Last one. Life's a Beach. Life's a Beach is fake. You made that one up. That one is real. Oh, my goodness! <laughs> Wow, I am, I am, you know what it is? How many fake ones did you actually put in there? Like three? Um, let me see. I put in one, two, three, four, five, six. So six out of 20. Jeez. <laughs> wow. Okay, but that just goes to show you how nuts that game is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, this perfectly describes how bizarre and like out there <laughs> and risk taking that game was. Yep. Yep. Yeah, some of those surprised me. Okay, so you got you got half of them right, Jared. You got ten okay. out of twenty. Okay. So fifty fifty there. Jeez. All right. Well, that's the end of the default segment.
I have one question for you, Josh, if it's okay yeah. if I could butt yeah, yeah. in. Are you planning, or have you already seen the Mortal Kombat movie? I would love to see it. My holdup with watching it right now is, one, I don't have easy access to HBO. Now, I could bite the bullet and, and purchase the I might the could help you with that. Um, I might could help you with that. We'll see. Oh. <laughs> well, that changes things. But at the same time, honestly, the other reason why I haven't, because I could, I could throw 15 bucks for a month, um, is because I want to watch it in a theater. Mm. I really do. Same yeah. reason why I haven't seen Godzilla versus Kong yet. Gotcha. And I've just been a little bit too busy to go and check those out. Yeah. So, but I, I want to. Have you seen it? No, not yet, but I'm blown away by it. seems to be doing really well, considering that yeah. it is a video game movie. People, you know, that's surprising. You, you wouldn't think that um, video, you, you just wouldn't think video game movies do well in theaters. It's hard enough for like anime movies to do well in theaters. Why would video game, you know, but it does seem to be doing well. So that's, that was yeah. surprising to me. I see it trending on Twitter almost every day. And it's, it's like cheesy 80s Asian movie. Mm. like style um and it, it it's just so cartoonish and ridiculous and almost like too serious for its own good like it would like honestly out of most video game properties Mortal Kombat is the one that I would expect to flop yes and it has yes. like in the like I think they've made like four movies on it before oh okay and, I wasn't aware and of that. three of the four have completely flopped like absolute travesties because it's so hard to nail that vibe. But this one seems like it's doing it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I really want to watch it. I mean, I try to watch every video game movie that I can, um, even if I'm clenching my teeth and <laughs> wanting to die the entire time. So, let's go ahead then and jump into our pick of the week. And this week is such a unique experience. We're talking about Undertale. Jared, Undertale is a small indie game pretty much developed by one person. Now, he had a small team of people that helped him out. His name is Toby Fox. Originally just released on the PC, later made its way to other consoles. It is a surprising turn on the RPG concept. And what did you think? I mean, tell me what you thought, Jared, jumping into this kind of blind, right? Did you know much about Undertale before getting involved in it? Dude, I knew nothing. I okay. knew nothing. And I was... Have you ever drank out of a fire hose, Josh? Mm, yes. <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, I'm surprised you lived to tell the tale. But trying to get into Undertale was like drinking from a fire hose. It, there, there is so much... The internet's darling, if it, yeah. if it were to be a video game, would have to be Undertale. I've never seen yeah. this much fan content 
for a series. The game itself, I have my own impressions about, but to be honest with you, what made a bigger impression on me when I just Googled the name Undertale to do research mm -hmm. for this podcast was the fan creations and the sheer volume. It's thousands upon thousands. It's incredible um, for you know a, a, a game that is reminiscent uh, of Axiom Verge, to be honest, although not nearly as impressive <laughs> in gameplay, created by one man uh, who had a passion project and wanted to do his own spin on your traditional RPG. It is, it's in a class of its own. I really don't know how else to put Undertale. Yeah. It doesn't seem to fit into any one box. It's so unique. Yeah, so if you're if you're any sort of internet nerd, you will have heard of Undertale, especially the Sans character. He was the one that like really was in the memes, um, and was for a long time. I like twenty circa 2019, 2018, I was watching PewDiePie videos and it seems like every other joke involved Sans. And that I was see. like okay. when that was like when the game hit its like peak popularity. It came out in twenty fifteen, was really a sleeper right. hit going into twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. And and Sans seems to have been one of the characters that really stood out, but it it takes the conventions of video games and the conventions of RPGs and turns them all on its head. It makes you think that it is this small, unassuming indie game, and it constantly surprises. It constantly throws new concepts at you. It's constantly taking what you think is going to happen and changing it entirely and just being clever. Like when I think of like someone who's a good orator who knows how to turn a phrase, like if you could translate that concept to a video game, that's Undertale. Like yes. constantly turning a phrase, constantly yes. turning a concept and just not always in like blatant ways but in like slight obvious ways that if you are a gamer you kind of just have to sit back and be like huh you know kind of chuckle at it and and be impressed and that's undertale in a nutshell in my experience so getting into it jared what what prompted you to go check out the internet was it because you were feeling like there was something there that maybe you just hadn't didn't have a full grasp on what do you mean? No, so every time we, uh, every time Josh, you tell me what game we're going to be playing, I go and Google that game just to get some basic facts about it, to try to get some context around me playing it. Some games I don't do that okay. with. Some games I'll play the game first and then jump in afterwards. But um, for so me, I a, just. It was a standard process for you to go and check yes, it out there after. Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So then before that, I guess I want to know what your impression was because my, so I've been kind of colored by the internet discourse. Um, I always heard about undertale. You know, I, I saw the memes. I saw people who were enthralled with it, who were head over heels. And so I, I feel like I've kind of had my, my perspective tainted by that, but you are going in like a sweet, gentle baby rabbit here. You're the tiniest bunny with the kindest heart. And so I want to know what you thought, Jared, getting into this and, how this weird, chunky indie game began its impression on you and what that impression was toward the end. So I won't even lie to you. Um, so before I picked up the game, um, I Googled, you know, before I actually had gotten it, I Googled Undertale. And what came up in the search bar with the autocorrect is Undertale Pacifist Run. And then as soon as I saw the word run, my brain went, Hades, oh, this is going to hmm. be a game where you can do multiple different runs here. And so that was my introduction. I was like, okay, all right, well, that's interesting. 
And then I, you know, jumped into the game and I met Flowey and he was so yeah. nice. And then he tried to kill me and then I was saved. <laughs> and then I played a couple weird puzzles. And that, so I didn't really know what to think. I just thought quirky. I thought, you know, obviously pixelated. But Flowey being my first introduction to the game really, you know, told me, hey, this isn't going to be your standard RPG. This yeah. is going to be a little weird. <laughs> a little funky, a little creepy, and uh, we're going to see where it goes from there. So, you know, I, I I, just was like, you know, question mark. That was my whole vibe right at the beginning. <laughs> and I think that's kind of, honestly, that's kind of what Toby Fox is going for. You know, he didn't yeah. release this game to any fanfare. This was kind of a discovery that people made on Steam. And so I'm sure those those first major critics playing it were like, what in the world? And yeah, you make you meet Flowey, you fall into the underworld. There's like an intro scene kind of describing the history of this world between the monsters and the humans. And the monsters have fallen into the underworld and have not been seen for years and years. And now this young human who I named Biddy. I don't know who what you named your human. Um, I called mine Biddy. I don't know why, but it made me laugh every time. They were like, <laughs> Biddy, stay determined. Um, and... Yeah, you get it there, and you're, you're you're confused as to what's going on. You're walking around, and you meet this flower, and he's such a happy flower. And he's like, oh, you fell down to the underworld. Well, let me explain how things are here. And then he's like, it's kill or be killed. And the, the art on his face changes into this menacing, horrific face, and then he starts to attack you. And you're yeah. like, what in the world is going on with yeah, this game? If, if, if Pennywise were a flower, it would be Flowey. <laughs> that's, yeah that's fan that's a fantastic comparison so like it immediately puts you in this um i guess tense kind of um on guard position where you're, yes. you're kind of you're waiting for the next surprise or or flip and then it doesn't do that for a while like Everyone you meet after Flowey, well, at least as far as the main monsters are concerned, are genuinely nice. And you're like, oh. like, And every time, like, I remember playing through, so I guess we can kind of get into the plot a little bit here, uh, now that we talk about impressions a little bit. But getting into plot specifically, I, I remember jumping into, or not jumping, but I guess following Toriel, the large rabbit mother i guess <laughs> you yeah. can say that kind of saves you from flowey and leads you to her home like the entire time i was like when is toriel gonna turn on me like when is she gonna like all sure. of a sudden real, like sure like the, right. the turn is gonna be like oh she's like the witch in hansel and gretel and she's trying yep. to feed me and throw me into an oven and that never happened it's like no she genuinely cared about you she was trying to give you pumpkin pie and make sure that you slept well and all of that's happening on this. That this is the other impressive thing about the game is that it is a flat think like the original Legend of Zelda on NES look. Yeah. Super chunky pixel graphics, and it's conveying all the story. It's conveying all this character through that aesthetic. Very limited. Like the word is limited when it comes to the aesthetic, but it uses that limited aesthetic to its final degree in the story and pulls out as much character as much nuance as you could possibly hope for in each of the different plot points that occur so um and and that's really set the tone because you you have this 
antagonistic character, Flowey, immediately followed by the kindest monster you'll ever meet, which is Toriel. And that's before you even get into the bulk of the quest itself, the adventure itself, which is, of course, to escape the underworld. And from there, there are constant, constantly new monsters that are introduced with different um, uh, motivations, with with different personalities and by the end there are even a couple of other twists that we don't have to spoil right now i'd like to get into that but we don't have to talk about it necessarily right now and throughout the whole thing i honestly like i played most of this game with a mild sense of amusement as well as a few laugh out loud moments and just like heartfelt moments as well coupled in there but then creepy at the same time it has so many different layers of experience that you can have with it. Like every time my wife looked over and watched me play it, she was kind of creeped out because usually <laughs> I was playing some weird monster or something. And um, yeah, so it, it, it's got some nuance to it and I, and I thoroughly appreciated it for that. And yet even with all of that nuance, it's very cohesive. It was very clearly designed by Toby Fox and him alone as far as like story goes and characters and writing and he, he even wrote the music too so it's this one big cohesive package and, and honestly like like i said before very reminiscent of the co- uh, cohesiveness of like axiom verge which just has a consistency throughout and uh this whole game you know uh it w- is is excellent as as a whole package it's just so undertale sets the tone for the culture that the fandom tries to um, live within. And, and Toby Fox does such a good job of, of writing the boundaries of that loosely enough, but cohesively enough that it's just one of those games that has an evolution to it. You know what I mean? Like some games are static, like they're, they're good for when you play them back in 2014. And then some games just have this living, breathing, um, nature about them. And that's something that this game has for sure. It's just, it, it creates its own culture. Yeah, hundred percent. Very original. It t- it's like he knew, like, well, he did. Like, he he very much built this game for gamers, and built their expectations into this in a way that he subverted them so many times that it is it is truly an awesome experience. And in that way, I would say this is almost a timeless experience, regardless of how you feel about the gameplay, which is kind of basic, I guess. Like it, it constantly changes, but like you're just moving the little heart around, um, and then walking around the world. But like it, it takes those s- just standard turn-based combat scenarios and really toys with them in a way that, again, like you said, feels living and feels like new and original every time that you encounter a new monster every time that you play through it that was the other thing that i i appreciated about this game from what i understand i've only beaten it once and i don't know if i'll continue and play through it again but it is one of those games that rewards playthroughs and like you said different runs um and that's what people love about it you know from that perspective the the toby fox created this game with the with something to say I'll put it that way. He had a message on his mind that he wanted to get out to the gaming community. Um, and I, I would like to say that I think that his message, if I could be so bold, is um, one of acceptance of many different 
worldviews and concepts and misfits. This is very much a game of misfit monsters. And he had some things to say about that. And he, he made the statement, too, that, like, monsters um, in your typical RPG are just something that you kill. It yeah. doesn't matter whether they, ha- they have a personality or not. It doesn't matter. You just kill all the monsters. That's your RPG. It's very human-centric, I think is the key word. And what he wanted to do is throw that on its head and just say, wait a second, what happens to the personalities of these monsters based on your decisions, be they selfish or selfless? What happens? And you will, you know, this game has, I think I looked it up, it's 93 different endings based on, <laughs> based on the, the, the people that you kill and spare, essentially, and yeah. based on the relationships you build with them within the game. Um, you have multiple different endings, you have a, a couple of different, you know, routes you can go, and then there's just yeah. countless endings within. And uh, Toby Fox definitely had something to say. There, there, the dialogue that he wrote and the characters and the different things that they do within the game very much um, a message that he's trying to convey to the gamer. He's trying and to convince way, you of say, something. I would say it's powerful. It, it's powerful in its own right. And and maybe this is my own ideology playing into it, but I think it's it's somewhat of a traditional, you could say conservative message, which is that, hey, we may be of different, species we may be on the surface look different we may have you know some obvious skin level differences that could separate us into tribes but deep down we are all people we are all um trying to do our best we we all have things that we love things that we hate and um because of that, you cannot judge a book by its cover, which, as a history teacher, really resonates with me after having talked about the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King. And that was his whole message, which was like, we ought to be judged by the content of our character, not by the external factors that you know might signal to other people who we actually are. It's like, no, we're something deeper. And on that level, I, I think this is a powerful... Um, message about the truth of reality in that we you know uh, tying it to the real world we're we're all made in the image of god and we shouldn't be judged by anything else and and he captures that in such a unique way i don't know if he meant to do that but like in my mind that's the message that ends up being conveyed by the end and your actions have consequences in ways that you don't really expect in a video game um, and certainly at the end, there were moments where, or like particular revelations, I guess is the word that you'd use that like made me sit back and be like, man, I didn't play this right. <laughs> like, yeah, I tried to approach this like a typical video game. And because of that, there are consequences that I have to go through now. And that sort of thing you don't, you don't see in a video game. Right. Except for Undertale. Yeah. And because of that, I think it's, it's, it's a solid, solid game. Games don't normally go out of their way to make you feel bad about decisions you make. Typically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't think of very many. <laughs> um, this is a game of decisions. And I think, to your point, you're, you're actually very right. I think Toby Fox came into this to try to uh, make a message. But also, I think, with the way the dialogue works, so just a, a quick breakdown. When, you, uh, when a monster catches you on the path that you're walking, you have the option to fight use an item to heal yourself or, or put an item on or give an item to that character sometimes. You have the choice to act 
And then finally at the, the right, there's the mercy button where you can spare the character when they finally, when that's finally an option, or you can run away. And so it makes it very clear that, you know, again, this is going to be a game of decisions, but what's interesting is that your run will change based on what's here's, here's what I mean to say. It is not obvious what you should do. It's just obvious that Toby Fox is writing this dialogue to see what you will do in that sense that like, are you going to come into this with the mindset? I'm going to spare everyone that I possibly can or are you going to come into this mindset, I'm going to kill everyone that I possibly can? Or are you going to come into the mindset that says, it depends? And I think what yeah. Toby Fox wants you to do is to figure out what type of player you're going to be beforehand. Because, like I said, it's not apparent what you should do. The game doesn't make it you know, readily apparent who the evil person is. That's what's so interesting about this game. There doesn't seem to be an apparent antagonist. You just have one goal. Get out. Get back to the world that you came from. That seems like a reasonable goal. Let's go home. And then along the way, you're forced to make these decisions that will have lasting consequences. And, you know, we haven't even gotten to the most unique part of this game, which is the fact that the game will remember your save files and your reloads and the decisions you've made in past run-throughs. That's what, and that really drives home the point that Toby's trying to make you think about the things that you're going to do in this in each run through. He's going to make you think about the, the the decisions that you make as you play the, the the game that he made. It's very interesting. Yeah, and in that way, I feel like it's it's rooted in reality. Yes, like, absolutely. So rule and it's not in subjective reality. Like there's the whole concept today of like my truth, my lived experience. It's like no, it's separate from that entirely and in just a solid truthful reality. And it, and how you react to that, like you said, it it changes based on that. It's not based on what you want to have happen. It's based on an objective reality and how you maneuver through it. And in that way, I think, again, it's very powerful. And it, and it constantly subverts what you're thinking is going to happen. And it judges you in a way that I think is weirdly righteous maybe that's the wrong word to use but like it has a righteous end to it based on your decisions that you made and in and the games don't do that <laughs> like i can like talking about ratchet and clank i can kill a hundred thousand robots and it doesn't change a thing right or right. you know i can play the uncharted series and kill 500 pirates throughout the entire game and none of the cutscenes change it is is a basic path i'm doing what i need to do um, and that's just how games tend to operate, you know, and Undertale takes that and flips it entirely on its head. And because of that, it is such a unique experience. The game is the king of self-awareness. What's so interesting about these 93 different endings is, and let me back up a little bit. Josh made a really good point, And I want to use that again to preface what I'm about to say. Josh made this point that the dialogue written into this game includes the characters stuttering and includes them laughing it has dashes and commas and periods and exclamation marks and question marks used in just such a way that you're texting with someone who you know what they're thinking when as they write what they write. You get to know these characters really, really well. And then by the, by the end of it, there's so much heart and genuineness poured into how they react to you that when you, um, uh, uh, when you make those decisions, they're going to react that in their own. Like you know, I don't. He just rounds out each of these characters so well, so that they they do judge you by the 
by the end of your run through, hey, this is what you did in this run and this is how these characters feel about it. And it feels like they're living and breathing in that way because the way they interact with you after you've made a decision to end, you know, a certain specific character's life or to spare them, you know, it's different. Um, and, And that's also... That point is also borne out by the fact that, so we'll, we'll jump into some of the details here. Um, there are three different types of runs. You can have a neutral run, which is basically what, if you're coming in blind and you don't know anything about the game, you will do by default. Because there's going to be a. Yeah. Right, that's exactly. And that's how Toby Fox wants you to play this game. And here's how I know that because you have to have a neutral run before you can do the other two types of runs. He wants you to play the game as if you would without any outside influence, without anything, you know, telling you what to do or how to do it or anything. Like, what are the decisions? What are the moral codes that you come into this game with as a gamer before you make these decisions with these different characters? And then after you do a neutral run through, you can do a pacifist run through or a genocide run through. You can either kill everything or you can spare everything. And the game, you know, those are two extremes, but there there are two legitimate paths that you can take and they're what Undertale is known for. And so the, the fact that you can't do a neutral, uh, a pacifist run without the neutral run really shows you that Toby Fox is trying to get you to think about who you are as a gamer before he starts to... Um, put his own opinions and information and values on you as, as the repeat gamer. Does that make sense, Josh? I don't know if I said that all correctly. No, you're totally right. Because like, I think of other games with decisions and it makes clear like, Oh, if you're going to make this decision, this is what's going to happen. Like the infamous games are notorious for that, where it's like, there's a good path and a bad path. And anytime there is a decision that will be a good decision, it'll be highlighted in blue and it'll tell you what's going to happen after. And it's like, okay, I'll make that decision because I want to do the good path. And it doesn't give you any of that. It, it just presents you with an option. Doesn't tell you which one's good or bad. And you suffer the consequences of what that is when, when you've done it. And, and I don't want to, I want to make it clear that like, this is real decision-making. This is not pseudo decision-making. And by that, I mean, like, this is one of the knocks that I had on Fire Emblem was that the dialogue options didn't matter half the time. They really didn't. The outcome was going to be the same either way. It's the fact that you were having that conversation with that character. It was not what you said during that conversation. And it was faux choices. It was fake. And in my mind, when you do that, it's a waste of time. This game is different. The dialogue options and the way you choose to interact with these characters has a lasting impact on that run and who they see you as as the player. And you don't know what the future is. Um, so, like, jumping into characters specifically, and I want to ask you who your favorite character is, Jared, sure. as far as the monsters are concerned, but, like, there are scenarios where I was convinced that the only thing I could do was fight to the death. Yes, you know? yes. That and that's so not the case, but there's nothing that's going to indicate that to you unless yes. you really persevere with, like, I am going to be merciful. Oh, yeah. Which seems like it's going to be the detriment of your playthrough. Like, you don't think you're going to progress doing that. Yeah. Um, but that's where Toby Fox puts that 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 um, decision in front of you and says, like, are you going to stick to your character? Yes. Are you going to stick to your values regardless of the outcome? Or are you going to compromise and then instead engage in a fight to the death where this character seems like he's calling for it, 
Um, but that isn't necessarily what the end result is. And that is, it's just so interesting. Like I, after I finished the game, I went and looked through a couple of the other options as the things I was going like other types of endings. And I was like, man, I could have spared that person. Like I had no clue. Yeah. You had no clue. Right. In the, in, in the match, I was like, oh yeah, I have to kill this guy. Okay. So let's, let's just attack the entire time, you know? And like, maybe you try to, so like when you get into the act button, so there's four buttons, there's fight, act, item, and mercy. And when you go to act, which is like what I tended toward, like whenever I started a conflict, I'd go to act to see what my options were. And sometimes it's just like talk to them. Sometimes it's like flirt. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> it's get close or like in, in some of the dog encounters, it's like pet. Yep. <laughs> so like, it's great. It's so funny. Cause like, it's so quirky, but I'll try them out, see what happens, you know? Um, but when I try out an option, usually if it doesn't work the way that I hoped that it would, right. then after that, I'll abandon it completely. Yep. That's and exactly instead right. Just resort to fighting. Yes. And that's where Toby Fox and his brilliance comes in where it's like, okay, are, despite you not getting the result that you wanted, are you going to stick to your principles? And because of that, it just, it plays out in such interesting, funny at times, but also at, by the end, tragic ways that are truly impressive and really goes to show the power of video games, I feel like, as a medium, but then also the the subversion of what a typical video game is. Yes, and, and, and here's the thing, Josh. Here's what's beautiful about it, is that Toby Fox doesn't beat you over the head with your decision in that first run-through. That's what's so interesting. It's like, yeah. I'm fully anticipating people to come into this game with their usual video game logic, with their usual RPG approach, and the usual RPG approach is just to kill just about everything. And yeah. to take what you want and to whatever else. And by the end of that run through, you know, maybe those characters maybe convince you that like, wait, deep down they're not too bad. And you decide to spare some of them if you can. Or maybe you don't know how to do that right away. And you have yeah. to like, through the first run through, learn to like just determine in future encounters to be merciful or whatever. You know, that the game doesn't beat you over the head with your inexperience. It just says, are you going to be taught this time around? Or... Are you going to be stuck in your ways? Are you going to resort to violence when you don't get what you want? I can imagine many pacifists. The pacifist run-through is the one where it's just mercy all the way. You absolutely do not kill anything. Um, The pacifist run-through, I can imagine plenty of those have been ruined by someone getting frustrated and just deciding to go back and just fight like they're used to fighting. And then it turns into a neutral pathway. Because it's not technically wrong. I mean, it is an RPG. It's just a game. But you also didn't stick with your insistence on peace. You didn't play yeah. the martyr, and you, you can't be rewarded for that. You can't get rewards that you don't actually deserve just because it's a game. And that's what Toby is, is saying. It's, uh, it certainly has more depth, and it, it, it allows you the, the insight into the creator's mind maybe more than you were bargaining for when you first picked up the game. I know that's the case for me. Uh, yeah. It certainly was more than I was bargaining for once I read up on a lot of this different stuff. Yeah, I so like going into an encounter, I realized over time. So like the first several monsters that I come across, I was just like straight up killing. So I was like, yeah, oh yeah, right. you kill you kill monsters is what you do. And then I realized that oh, these guys all have their own unique personality. Like you've got the like little jellies that'll like um, vibrate when you. I don't remember what it was like dance or something like that was the act button. And they're just having a good time. And I was like, oh wait, they're not being super aggressive like yeah they're attacking me i guess but like 
they want to chill, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's yeah. just like one random monster. And over time, I realized like, oh, most of these conflicts can get resolved through mercy. And so yeah. I, I started to tend toward that over time. But then I didn't really see a, um, what's the word? A value, I guess, from it. Because when I would resolve the the thing through mercy it would say you gained zero exp yep and and 10 point whatever uh, lv points or something like that and i was like what okay so i'm not getting any experience points that's literally what i thought and so i was like okay well this sucks so that means taking the mercy route is lame and that's another way where toby fox subverts your expectations because exp does not mean experience and you don't figure that out until the very end of the game so you're going through this planning as you would a regular rpg to like boost your character get stronger so on and so forth and once you realize that yeah taking the nice route might make you feel better but it's not helping you get stronger you might tend toward the the attack option the kill option and then after that you're getting that axp that you want and then at the end it reveals that that's not what exp means and that was where I like my jaw dropped. I was like, "Oh my gosh, I regret <laughs> so yeah. much of what I did." Oh yeah. And that like that moment was such a subversion of what I expected and of what games have always been. And I I super appreciated it for that. I guess to continue the idea of story, who was your favorite character? You know, that's a good question. Um You know, I I don't I don't really know. I think maybe on repeated run-throughs, I could pick someone. I, I mm. guess I liked I liked uh, Asgore, to be honest with you. But just because, okay. yeah, and you know, Sans is the obvious choice. Papyrus is also you know enjoyable, although he's a little annoying, if I'm being honest. <laughs> or or you could do you know uh, Alphas. I, I I thought Alpha. Uh, well, I, I take that back. It would be a, a toss-up between Meta, Metaton and uh, yes. Asgore. And Metaton was this, you know, the charismatic uh, transgender robot. Um, that was fun. <laughs> and and Asgore was this broken father. And yeah. wow, you know, you, you know, you're, we're talking about how you and I fell in love with Hades uh, when right. we played that game. Hades, the father, when we played that game. This I felt uh, felt a lot of those same feelings uh, fighting Asgore. Felt a lot of those same feelings. This broken father just trying to do what he believed was best. He just, it, man, when he finally gets to his weakest point, and he's like, I just want to see my wife and child. Wow. Right. I mean, man, dude, right in the feels. Um, so probably those two, I felt like those two were the, uh, the both, the most enjoyable was Metaton, and then, I think I'm saying that right, it might be Metatron, I can't remember. I think um, it's Metaton, yeah. Yeah, and then Asgore being the most compelling character, because it just made sense. And what's crazy, too, is that like all of the the monsters in the underworld love Asgore as their king. They worship yeah. the dude. They love him. They're like, he's such a stand-up guy. There's a little note in the final uh, uh, house, which is look, looks like his wife's house, Toriel. Um, yeah. it's, not in, it's not implied, I don't think, right away. It's like... Well, no, it is. It is. Yeah, you find that out in the end when, when Sans calls you, but... Um, uh, at least that's when I found out. But he leaves a note that says "Help yourself," and it's in the kitchen. It's like <laughs> this dude's preparing to, like, you know, he just has his house unlocked, and you go in there, and he's like, "Help yourself." And so I, you know, Asgore is probably my favorite because I found he was the most compelling. Um, 
But that's also just because it shocked me. Again, the depth of these characters, just like Hades, drew me in and then pleasantly surprised me with, with how much depth they had. Um, Josh, how yeah, about Nazgore you? Yeah, Nazgore specifically was like... Yes! Um... He, he seemed menacing, depending on which monster was talking about him. And they always yes. put, at least at the beginning of the game, they put his name in, like, red. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, snap, he's the final boss. Yeah. It, the name itself does sound intimidating. And so I I was expecting this, you know, beast of a monster who was, like, all evil. You know, like the Hitler of monsters. And then when you get to him, I, I like... I was sobered by the fact that he looked exactly like Toriel. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. Because up until that point, I didn't know who Asgore was. I didn't know that, you know, all the history, which you're, you're told later, which is like Toriel was his wife. She was the queen. And she left him and whatnot. And when I saw that he looked like Toriel, I was like, holy crap. This is Toriel's husband. Mm-hmm. And he's kind. And he's sitting in a field of flowers and yeah you just went through his house and it's very inviting just like Toriel was and now I have to face him and he has this resolve to do what he needs to do to save his people and yeah because of that um, just a sobering brilliant character and I, I loved Asgore for that because the the expectation that was built up for it was very different than the actual resolution of that character. Uh, my favorite until, character, though. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, up until the point that you fight Asgore, you're still wrestling with your own conceptions of what a RPG should be, anyway. And so, by the time you get to him, you're just not prepared for the the all the smacking in the feels that happens while you talk right. to this guy at all. So keep going. Who's your Who's your favorite character? Um. So <laughs> I was gonna say either Metaton who is just this funny, he's a robot who's like, his life is all about entertainment. Like, that's his mission in life. But he's also been programmed to be a killer robot, at least according to uh, Dr. Alphys, who I hated. I did not like Dr. Alphys. Yeah, me either. Least favorite character. Yeah. Very annoying, constantly stuttering, um, has this crush on you. I I did appreciate the funny, like, social media posts. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> like from time to time, I was like, okay, that's pretty clever. Um, but it interrupted you a little bit too much. And she was calling you way too much. And so I was like perfectly happy to be rid of her by the time that she left. But Metaton, who was created by, um, what what's her name? Oh, I just said it, Alphys. Um, is this just like fun loving robot who also has this bent on destruction and violence. So like, Every encounter with Metaton was so fun, unique from the rest of the game, and quite hilarious, I would say, in a lot of different instances. And totally subversive, changed up the gameplay every time, and so I loved Metaton for that. Although I do have to say, you said that you thought he was slightly annoying, but Papyrus is my favorite character. <laughs> so the and And part of that is just how naive he is. And how um, how funny his conversations with Sans are because like Sans knows and like plays against it's very much like a sibling relationship that yeah, I totally yeah. related to and thought was just like so well written. I would say like as far as plots concerned, this is one of the best written games I have ever played. Like it is so clever and and the character dynamics and how they bounce off each other is 
really done just to an impressive level. Um, but Papyrus really shows like the dumb side of the game. And I think it's just so like, I thought it was so cute and quaint how he's like thinking that he's trying to capture you and you're like playing along with it because all of his puzzles are stupid and (laughs) he's like trying to be this warrior. But he also was like starting to think of you as a friend because he's having such a good time trying to capture you. And so I just love Papyrus for that Um, all the way up until he you go on a date with him. I don't know if you did that. You don't I, have to. I think it's an optional thing. Yeah, it is optional. I did. I did. And that's partially why I thought he was a little annoying. Uh, yeah. I was including that in my analysis. But yeah, I was very mad that he rejected me at the end um, <laughs> in my f- ending. So kind of getting into spoiler territory. We've kind of talked about it with Asgore and everything. But Papyrus ends up being the leader of the underworld um, in my ending. And I just thought that was very interesting. I was like, Papyrus? Really? Not of everyone? But I love... Like, he was the one who really got me to start to like this game and really love this game. Because up until that point, like, we talked about it a little bit, but, like, you, you fall into the underworld, you meet Flowey, you have this subversion of expectations where Flowey attacks you, and then Toriel saves you... You are in Toriel's care, you're walking along, you're kind of learning about the world, and then she tells you, hey, if you want to go into the underworld, you have to beat me first. Yeah. You fight her, and then you go into the underworld, and after that, you're on your own. Like, you're just, you're you're lost. You're this lost child in the underworld, and you're, you're trying to make your way, and you come across Sans, who looks like a menacing character at first turns out to be this funny skeleton and he introduces you to his goofy the goofiest character in the game uh, papyrus who takes himself too seriously who obviously misses social cues and so on and so forth and it's like their dynamic and i so i was just looking at my switch actually like most of the saved scenes like 30 second clips and pictures from undertale that i have on my switch are from sans and papyrus interacting during that whole segment which is like the first one fourth of the game right yeah and that was like there like i i literally lived for like getting to the next encounter with them seeing how that conversation played out and just laughing at it um so because of that papyrus was my favorite fair enough and if you look at the fan fiction too most of it centers around sans and papyrus actually uh, the vast majority of it, just because those two, their sibling relationship and Papyrus being naive and, and kind of goofy and Sans being the chill, but cool and humble older or younger brother. I can't remember which um, that that makes up a good portion of the fan fiction as well. Um, those two. And I did laugh genuinely at a couple of those moments. And two, the relationship that you build with Sans as he keeps inviting you to go out to eat and then he keeps telling you, but he doesn't tell you, but he's hinting. Like, hey, you know, I'm cheering for your kid, but this is also a terrible situation. Kind of that yeah. vibe, you know. I, I really appreciated that. And that's where I think we can, ju- uh, you know, position ourselves a little bit here. The game shines in a couple different areas, but key, key is the dialogue, is the way the characters are yeah. written, is the pinnacle and the, the shining star of this game. That's where 100%. this whole thing, this whole thing, this whole crux of the game hinges upon is how much you fall in love with the characters and how much they, and you know, Toby Fox, obviously in the background is able to convince you to do things differently than how you thought 
you should. And I, yeah. I would love, you know, that would, I feel like that's a good stepping off point for what this game does well and what it does poorly. I have a couple of notes uh, for both. You know, what did you think, Josh? What do you think is this game's strongest strength? I agree. The dialogue, the, the yeah. writing, like I said before, is just phenomenal. And it, and it totally changes based on the character too. So like right. when I was playing through the portion with Papyrus, I knew he was innocent, you know? And mm. so my whole bent was to keep him alive. But then when I got to Undyne, I think is how you pronounce her yes. name. Undyne? Undyne? Undyne, I yeah. thought she was menacing because right. of the writing. And so I had no problem killing her off, um, which is, of course, a different a, a decision that you make in the right, game. Right, right. It causes the ending um, to change, right? Right. So so the writing is, is crucial in that because the characters all are so distinct. The conversations that you're having are so interesting and funny. There are so many just like funny prompts. Like it, it knows that you're going to go over and click on a random rock. And so it just gives you a funny prompt about that rock. And I don't know if I would be able to think about that, you know, to that level of detail. And so to that, you know, I give it credit. Um, And I, I, like personally, I loved the, the constant gag of the mouse by the save points <laughs> it like, always have a little a mouse hole and it would always say like one day the mouse is coming gonna come out and eat the frozen spaghetti that fills you with determination and then you save it <laughs> and so like i i just appreciated like little tiny things like that and like little characters that aren't huge at the end of the day but who are like quaint and funny the little ice cream man who shows up in random spots who's like chill he'll sell you nice cream and then um the monsters in the little town where papyrus and sands live all of them had their little funny quirks quirks and things that they were saying um onion san i don't know if you remember him but like there's that whole like river portion where you're like walking along literally he pops up for like all of a minute and a half like he's literally there for that much amount of the game and he's like hey i'm onion san and like He's talking to you, and he's like this goofy little giant onion in the river, and then he goes away, and it's like, okay. And then there's like that little kid who's following you, and Undyne is hunting you, and he's like obsessed with Undyne and talking to you. So like (laughs) the character, and specifically the dialogue, like what they're saying is king in this game, and is really where this game shines. And the dialogue Um, was definitely... Yeah, the, the dialogue was definitely written by a nerd, too. There's constant references yeah. to anime and, and, and to other, you know, uh, anime and cat girls a couple times. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely that's written like, by he, a nerd. Yeah, Toby Fox knew his audience. Like, these are gamers who are playing this thing, and he wrote it to that, which I think is smart. Um, it's, it, it's just, it's freaking impressive. Like, most I feel like most writers in gaming don't write to their audience. They write to their genre. And Toby Fox wrote to his audience. He knew what type of person was playing this, and that's brilliant. Like, you know, you're told in school, like, if you're going to put on a debate, if you're going to put together a speech, know your audience, right? Yeah. And Toby Fox did that. And because of that, it, it resonates in ways yeah. that most video games don't. Yeah, and I think too, like he made he, he made the statement at some point uh, in an interview. He said, "No, no, no. I kept the team for this game small on purpose because he says I feel like teams that are too big water down the content of the game." 
um, because no one person's personality can shine through. So he did yeah. have some help on the technical side of things, but all of the artwork, all of the music, and you know, I'll get to it in a second, but the music really shines in this game. All of that was is reflective of his personality, which happens to be that of... I think he wrote his heart and soul into each of these characters. This is the land of misfit monsters, and he makes that very clear that he thinks of people who are typically cast aside, typically thought of as weird. Um, he thinks of them as the best types of people in my mind like that's the vibe i got like he thinks papyrus is the best kind of genuine kind of dude he thinks undyne yeah. <laughs> is the best kind of passionate warrior female archetype he thinks you know etc etc et he thinks sans is the coolest version of an older brother you could have and toriel is the best version of a mother and asgore is the best version of a father etc he wrote his heart and soul into these characters and it, it comes through absolutely um I think, too, because Toby had to hand in the music, that that is another place where this game just sparkles. The music for this game is so apt. The way yeah. uh, silence is used, too, especially yeah. in those situations with Flowey, is extraordinary. He just knows when to turn it on, when to turn it off, what backgrounds go with what mood music. It's. I was just impressed by my linear journey, even when nothing was happening and I was just traversing between worlds, I was impressed that I noticed and appreciated the background music. That was exceptional for me. I, I totally agree because he, he plays with it in a, in a film director level of quality. Yes. Just like a horror movie director, like plays with suspense. He does that with the music, but it's also like fun, upbeat chip tune video game music, you know, which is, catchy and you recognize it like i i was literally watching an instagram video totally separate from my playthrough of undertale and i recognized undertale music because it's just catchy (laughs) yeah and i was like holy crap like this is still like pervasing into society today and so like he he did something special there and then within the game yeah like you said like there are moments where like all of a sudden you enter a corridor and before the music was was going on, it was an ice world, and so you hear like the classic ice world overworld, and then all of a sudden it stops. Yep. And there's just like a silhouette of your character, and you're walking through darkness, and then he hits you with whatever the next story moment is. Sure. Yeah. And so he he plays with that incredibly well throughout the whole thing for sure. I think. Um... In, in different ways, I would like to say that the gameplay, like the combat system, it shines in a certain way, and it's also the weakest point of the game in another way. Um, I don't... Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it shines in the fact that it breaks the fourth wall just a little bit. So, for instance, in the final uh, boss battle, you're able to use... Um, <clears throat> like you have your um, act... You have your fight, you have your item buttons. Like Those are at the bottom of the screen typically. But in one of the final boss fights, um, the character comes across and breaks the mercy button. So you don't have access to that. And, and in that way, it's unique. It's like, no, 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 you don't even have a choice. Like You have to play this a certain way. Uh, and then, um, But he does so by breaking the fourth wall. You know what I mean? And then um, there's another portion where the act button, where you can act and it says like call for help or something, is floating around in the battle scene. And you have to navigate your little heart up there to get it. And um, that's also u- unique and different. So in that way, the the fighting and the gameplay in that in that sense shines. But in another sense... 
the everyday grind of it where you have to like fight or act or get away from or deal with you know different dialogue options of other monsters smaller monsters the ones that don't yeah, matter basic as much. monsters yeah that's pretty tedious at times i can't even lie to you like it it got old and annoying at times so i think you know it doesn't strike the balance perfectly between what's too much and too little um at times too much and maybe at times too little i don't know but um it certainly is unique and that's where it does well but as far as how much you have to do of it that's where it got a little grindy and annoying for this type of game because you realize soon on that it's not a grindy type of game so anytime you have to grind it's kind of like Ugh, well all right i'll do it i guess yeah it's utterly so like the way i would make the distinction is it is utterly complex in its narrative and its progression but it is so freaking simple in its gameplay. Maybe that's a perfect transition into gameplay. It's not really anything to write home about. And I think that's kind of on purpose. Like it's not trying to emphasize that part of the game. Um, it's trying to be simplistic old school in that way. But yeah. even in that, it, tr- it tr- tends to be quirky. It tends to be clever depending on the monster that you fight. Who? Okay, so maybe not who, but like what was your favorite monster like general monster so like we have our main characters right like toriel and um asgore but like the generic monsters that you come across in the random parts of the levels did any of them stand out to you (laughs) a number of them stood out to me for sure um the gay royal guards stood out to me that was kind of funny. <laughs> the ones that fall in love with each other. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. Um, and then uh, Aaron, which is like the floating buff seahorse dude. Yes. <laughs> he stood out to me a bit. Um, yeah, those are the two that really that come to mind. How about you? What did you think? Yeah, so like bringing up Aaron specifically before I get to mine. Um, so like every monster that you encounter, you have different act options. And with Aaron specifically, it's literally just flex at him. Yeah. And you can like so like you yeah. flex and then he flexes back. <laughs> and like he's like getting more and more confident as it goes along. And sometimes like there's detrimental effects where like if you compliment them, they get stronger and then attack you harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh that's not what I expected. I'd say yeah. most of the um the dog soldiers yeah. I loved. Like the Yeah. Okay, so the one that really stood out to me was the first I don't know if he's the first dog, but like one of the first dogs that you come across where he's in the booth. And you're walking by and like all of a sudden he pops up and he's like, something's moving. And yeah, he, oh, yeah, yeah, he makes yeah, it yeah. clear that he can only see things that are moving. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> as long as you stand still, I don't know where you are. And then he attacks you. And if you hold perfectly still during the attack, nothing happens. And then when you act, you can pet him. And he's like, oh, where did the pet come from? Like, I love pets. <laughs> and like has no clue what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, that's it's just like so hilarious to me because like each monster is kind of goofy in that way. Like there's the sun deer plane a little later who's like a very serious. He just looks like a passenger jet. <laughs> like yeah, to Sundere plane. Yeah, that's an anime yeah. reference. I love that. Oh really? Yeah, it is. To Sundere is like that. a character that pretends to hate you, but they really are in love with you. That's why you can see the plane <laughs> blushing when you like flirt with the plane. It'll blush. It's so yeah. funny. Yeah, and you can flirt. It was just so funny. Yeah, it's like there's little like goofy, like each of the monsters, there's like some goofy way that you can interact with them. Um, I'm trying to think of another example, but uh, like the jellies you can dance with. Um, There's like, there's there's the, um, 
there's some of them that you can like break confidence like you can break their confidence by like insulting them yeah and they'll like flee that way and so like it's just like each of the monsters like even though they're the generic monsters they don't have any story value like within the battles themselves they are given value like yes. character value in their own small ways and how you interact with them and how you can resolve those situations with them all the way back to the original frog that you can come across and then all the way up to, to the end. So um, I appreciate it. Like that's the part of the combat that shines. I would say is that, and each of their attacks as well are unique to them. Yep. Um, but otherwise, other than like the, the dialogue options that are given to you with each monster, it is basic. Um, so like how it works. So if I had to explain the gameplay, so we'll take a step back from the specifics, but like, you you enter into a conflict. Sometimes it's it's standard random JRPG encounters. Yeah. So like you're just walking along, and all of a sudden you pop up into a monster encounter, and these monsters pop up out of nowhere. You are given the options to fight, act, use your item, or mercy. And usually mercy doesn't work right away. So like you have to act or fight. And from there, you you hit fight. You're given this very um basic meter and a line goes across and if you can hit the button at the right point where the line is perfectly in the center of the bar then you get a maximum amount of damage that's done to the enemy and then from there they attack you with pretty basic attacks most of them are just avoiding so like you're given a little square on the screen and you are represented by a heart uh, a small little heart, which you can control in 360 or 180 degrees, um, moving up and down, left and right, uh, to avoid their attack. So there's like the the frog will have the square will pop up, and then there'll be a little frog which represents the attack, and the frog will jump up in an arc, and then you have to move your heart to avoid that arc, so you don't lose any health. And each of the monsters has small, minor plays on that, where most of it's just avoidance. Other than Metaton, who gives you kind of like a shoot 'em up perspective, right. all the other monsters are just like, hey, avoid their attack. Like whenever they attack, they're they're gonna throw some sort of projectile on the screen or um, something along those lines, and so you move out of the way and it's a slow movement your heart moves very slow there's not any way to speed it up and you get out of the way and you save your hp and then you are able to act thereafter and so in that way it is super basic like it, it's not i wouldn't say it's fun like it in right, other, like it's right. clever That's in the, the writing yeah it's clever in the writing and clever in the the different actions that you can take specifically in the act um type of action but otherwise yeah it, it's not exciting you're not playing um immortals phoenix rising or call of duty where you're constantly like your adrenaline's pumping and you're trying to pull off specific moves as you go along like no it's not that it's not trying to be that either so like you know um it is what it is but it's 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 very very generic in yes way. if the combat is there to give the game a little bit more substance because other than that it's just kind of like a role-playing game where, where like no right. action is involved it's almost like a video game light novel or something along those lines um you know so so in order to give it some substance it's in there but what is interesting is that the tediousness the busyness of the combat 
does lend itself to your two extreme pathways, either the genocide run or the pacifist run, because those runs are tedious. I mean, you have to spare everyone or kill everyone. You know what I mean? And so I think the tediousness of the, the gameplay, it makes those runs harder, but it makes them mean more because they are so uh, an- annoying, to put it a-, a lack of a better term. Um, so how many runs did you end up accomplishing? I just, I just finished one. Uh, I just finished okay. one, uh, just a neutral run, uh, pretty, pretty whatever. But then I went and looked up more and I actually watched people play through different runs and I learned about the different ones and I I jumped into the lore and there's whole other universes of this people have written comics called like you know it can't be Undertale so they'll do Underswapped in which they swapped all of their personalities and changed their genders so Sans is a girl who's like Papyrus and Papyrus is you know a chick who's who's like chill like Sans but it's Papyrus but it's like got a different personality so the they the fans have created their own versions there's like under or like horror tale or something like that um there's uh under under something i can't remember else there's a ton of them and they all have their comic book spinoffs and you know they're all all unique and different and inspired you know by this game and the lore goes really deep anyway that was kind of a little bit of a tangent when we were talking about gameplay but i do think like the gameplay because it's tedious does speak like it 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 makes your um specific runs um, worthwhile, the two extreme ones. But as far as a normal neutral run, it does get annoying at times. I, I cannot even, uh, I can't even, can't lie to you with that. Yeah, I would say like in in some ways, the gameplay kind of pulls back from the experience. Like it draws back from it. Yeah. Because you're in it for the characters, you're in it for the story, yes. you're in it for yes. the subversion moments. And the gameplay is so basic i hate to use that word because he did his best he really did to he did to make yes. it interesting like each he encounter his has its own unique elements but when it comes down to it you're moving a heart like that's it like you move left right up down and that's it and because of that it can feel boring yeah <laughs> at times yeah and but and i feel like maybe that's that's partially just a limitation that comes with being from um, a really small creator um, and then also partially being from a, a creator who is going for a smaller experience on the gameplay side of things and so in that way as far as like a straight video game gameplay experience is concerned it's not exciting it's not something to go for like I cannot like when I when I think of like a Hades or a Ratchet and Clank you play those games because the gameplay is smooth it's yes. fun. It's intense. Every moment is you controlling the thing. Undertale doesn't have any of that, and it's not meant to. Right. Um, but it is a detriment to it as well. Any other thoughts on gameplay? I mean, I think we've pretty much summed it up. Yeah, that's the whole game summed up. Um, to be honest with you, Josh, I really... I can see how... I think I could say that this is the product that Toby Fox wanted us to have 100%. I don't think he has yeah. any regrets with this game. I, I think he would probably no. disagree with us on the gameplay, which is fair, totally fair. I think he would um, say, no, Papyrus isn't annoying. I think I absolutely believe that he thinks this game is perfect just because it's not perfect. Does that make sense? Like, I think he yeah. intentionally let flaws into this game and just threw it out all onto the table, and true gaming is vulnerable it's imperfect, and you love it for its flaws, just like you love your person for their flaws. And 
Um, I, I think that I really don't have any true criticisms of this game because you could make an argument that every artistic decision, I mean, the game's not beautiful. It's like total, the whole game entirely has like three pixels. Um, so <laughs> it, it's not beautiful. It's not a Phoenix or a Breath of the Wild, but it's, that's okay. It's got some heart and some charm, and you're going to love the genuineness and the, the raw, homey feeling that it gives you. The gameplay is a little tedious, but it's also creative with what little it's able to accomplish. And then the characters, the dialogue is just, it's just people, man. It's just imperfect, misfit monsters trying to make their way in a world in which they've been either bullied or misunderstood, and it's just excellent all around. I really don't have any yeah. real criticisms. Yeah, uh, like the gameplay is not the reason to play this game, for right, sure. Right, right. But I don't think that's what Toby Fox is going for anyway. Yeah. So it's a combination of those two aspects. Like when you think of a video game, you think of gameplay. Like my right, wife plays right. Apex Legends every night because of the gameplay. Right. Undertale isn't going for that. It's not trying to make you uh, uh triple a character in its gaming side of things it wants you to experience its story it wants you to experience its characters it wants you to jump into these what you expect to be fun gameplay experiences and instead think about it and take a step back and say okay how can i resolve this and make this character um enjoy me make this monster um befriend me so that i can inflict well not inflict but like uh give mercy to it at the end of that particular run and there were several instances um where i just i tried to do the flea option you know yeah i was just like you know i don't want to kill these monsters they're they're friendly enough um there's like the weird like i can't remember what its name was but it's like a turtle with a face and it's very um like introverted and so instead of trying to kill that monster, I'd just be like, yeah, let me flee because I can't quite figure out how to make you happy. Yeah. So I'm just going to get out of this combat scenario to move on with the story. And I feel like that's, that's what Toby Fox is going for. And so in that way, it does work all as a cohesive package, but you are not playing this game for gameplay. And if you're into video games specifically for the tactile feel, um, whenever I think of like tactile gaming experiences. I think of my friend Skyler. He is all about upgrading your weapons. Right. Getting those specific nuances in like a third person shooter, all the different minor tactics, all the meta, like that word meta within online games. Like he is all about that. Undertale has none of that. And it's not trying to pretend like it does. Um, It's basic. And that's because it's gameplay is not what it is striving to be excellent in but even within that limited frame and it is limited on the on the graphic side of thing on the gameplay side of thing it is limited to a like you said like three um eight bit pixels on the screen at (laughs) at a time like it's it's doing that and then it's using that to its fullest effects it's like it's trying to limit itself to basicness and then taking that basicness and taking it to the nth degree. So in that way, I can't necessarily recommend its gameplay, but the experience of the whole game, I wholly recommend. Um, I guess talking about that last point before we wrap it up, we talk about the music. Fantastic. But what did you think of the graphics and the presentation of the game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cute. 
you, you really can't help but love how much expression he packed into a, a character with four pixels on its face, <laughs> you know? So yeah. he, uh, I think that it was the best that it could be. There's tons of references to internet culture with the dogs all look like doge, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. you know I love the dogs. Like yes. there's that one moment where like yeah. you encounter a dog, he's like hiding in a little tiny rock and you like think he's so cute and cuddly, and then he stands up and he's just giant knight. <laughs> yeah, and he looks like Buff Doge from the memes <laughs> right. on the internet. Yes, hundred percent. As far as presentation goes, yeah, I mean the 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 graphics. They, it's kind of like Axiom Verge, like like uh, the the you know Tom. I can't remember his name now, but the the creator of Axiom Verge wanted it to look like that. You know what I mean? It was an intentional decision, and I think Toby Fox intentionally created this game with what graphic design skills he had and let it lie where it hit the ground you know it was uh um that's exactly what he wanted it to be and i found it heartwarming honestly i thought his use of pixels and facial expressions with what limited you know graphics that he had was excellent and uh so yeah i i thought it was i i, I didn't have a problem with it is what i'm trying to say thomas hap is the yes yes axiom verge guy yeah no i think in that vein um, Toby Fox is using this super limited version of graphics to its fullest effect. Like, and yes. there are cool effects that are done. Yeah. The one that sticks out is the um, elevator and just the way that like, so like when you jump into an elevator in the hot lands, I think it's called, you like move up a floor and it's just this little square on the screen and it's moving just ever so slightly. And then when it gets to the top of its floor, a little tiny ray of light opens at the bottom and you walk through that. That's like your new yes. path. Yeah. Um, and it does that a lot. Like even at the beginning, you walk into the underworld and it's pitch black. There's literally nothing around except for your character. Like if you're looking at the screen, it's just your character and then black all around them. And you walk up and all of a sudden there's a patch of flowers and that's where you meet Flowey yep. for the first time. And it's like, okay, like the presentation isn't triple A, but he is being clever within the limitations that he has. Yeah. Um, and in that way, I, I appreciated it for sure. Um, yeah, I, I guess that would be my 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 final verdict on its presentation is like it does what it can within those limitations, and even yeah. in those limitations, subverts what you expect from yeah. those limitations. And so yeah. I appreciated it for that. Um, with that said, though, any other thoughts, ideas you want to bring up about? undertale jared no no not at all i think that the culture it creates and the gameplay the uniqueness within the limitation and and the characters and the dialogue and the music make a really strong case for how unique and homey and personal personal and raw and emotional this game is so much so that the culture it brings with it uh really makes a case for why this game can be considered a classic and therefore in my mind should go into our hall of games do you have any gripes with it no not not any more than i've already listed out i i've I've said all the ones that i had issues with um no not any real criticisms like i said yeah do you think that um parts of the game could have been shortened do you think it could have been lengthened. Do you wish that they had done a little bit more with the combat? Anything like that? 
Um, as far as shortened and lengthened, I think some of the pathways and some of the like the areas that you traverse are, you know, like I said, tedious. But 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 then again, um, you don't ever. There's only so many pathways you can take so that you don't get lost that often. So I actually felt like for what he was trying to do, it was pretty cohesive as far as being like short and long and whatever else. I think the moments yeah. that are stretched out are used to great effect most of the time. So what I, did you think uh, of the puzzles? The puzzles were okay. They weren't the most challenging thing I've ever done. But again, I, I think like the combat and the puzzles fill the game out and give it some more substance so that it feels more game-like. It's not just a playthrough story. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I thought the puzzles were okay, and some of them were, were challenging. I liked the ones best where you had to, like, shoot through the maze and you had to, like, move those boxes out of the way. That was a unique puzzle. I liked that one uh, the best. Those yeah. were fun. Um, it's kind of vague, yeah. but, but those were good. So, no, I thought the way that he used um, length pathways and, you know, different areas of the game, Waterfall and Snowden and different stuff like that, I thought those were all apt, and I didn't really have too much of a problem. It's just that occasionally the battles were tedious and repetitive. But other than that, Certainly. yeah, yeah, not too many criticisms, really. Yeah, I, I'm just to make a final note here, a positive note. Um, there are several puzzles that are presented to you where you think it's going to be a lot harder, and then Hap makes it simple. Like I immediately think of the papyrus puzzle where he's like, "Oh." I'm going to give you a grid of colors and then he like outlines what each of the squares mean and how those are going to impact how you cross the puzzle. And then all of a sudden it like shuffles and the puzzle is like the most basic puzzle you can get (laughs) (laughs) out of all the complexity. And then you just cross it very easily. And then he goes back (laughs) to that later and gives you a more complicated puzzle. But within that, it's not actually that like you can actually get past it pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and he does that several times. Like even there's a couple bosses where you think you are going to die to this boss, but then things are happening that are allowing you to progress. Like um, the first example of that gives um, makes me think of Toriel, where you get to the point where you are going to die because Toriel's effects or her her actions against you, her attacks are powerful. Yeah, and I got to the point where I was losing life and i was close to death and then after that all of a sudden toriel's attacks changed into ones that completely avoided me yeah and i was like oh okay so like even in that way like he's he's presenting i guess faux challenge Mm f-a-u-x challenge like it's supposed to look like it's supposed to be worse than it is and then it's not and that happened in several boss encounters where it's like, oh, I, I should have died, but then the boss showed me mercy or, like, moved on from it. Um, I think that happened with Metaton a couple times as well. So, yeah. I'm also, again, just I, subversion of expectation. Yes. I'm also speaking, when I say, you asked me about presentation and graphics and stuff, I'm also speaking from someone who has looked at the fan fiction. And if you want an animated fight right. between Sans and uh, Frisk, go to YouTube and there will be some dedicated fan who's done a high res animated fight between you and Sans. And that's where you can get your fix of what this would look like in a (laughs) modern medium. And so that dude, the fan community is worth exploring. A lot of those people are so talented and so passionate. Oh, it's good stuff, dude. Yeah. Check it out. Undertale really captured the internet by storm. And I think that was kind of the goal. It, like I said, it was it was built for a specific audience, and that audience really, like the the fact that 
the audience resonated with this shows how much of a classic it is in its own right. Yeah. So to- Toby Fox created this game as a big hug to the internet and internet culture, and they hugged him right back. Um, they did. And uh, you, it shows. Yeah, and, and Sans is in Smash Bros. You can get the uh, me costume of Sans and play him. So even someone um, in, in like WWE even dressed up as Sans. Like that's how really? far it extends. Yeah, that's how it might not have been WWE. It was professional wrestling somewhere. But yeah, someone dressed up as Sans and had the whole like a high, like uh, high quality like Sans uh, skeleton helmet. It was really cool. Yeah, that's freaking hilarious, dude. Yeah. All right. Well, reaching the end of this conversation, then Jared. Do you think Undertale can be entered into the Hall of Games? Yeah. I mean, it makes such a compelling argument for just putting itself out there. And I think when you finally meet someone in your life who's just themselves and doesn't make any apologies for it and accepts their flaws and just says, hey, I've done the best I can with what I was given and my own natural talents, you can't help but love them for that humility. And I think that the love and humility and uh, creativity and thoughtfulness that uh, Toby Fox put into this game really shines through. And for that reason, I'm perfectly willing to have him uh, and his game rest in our Hall of Games. I think Undertale is an experience in the gaming industry that you cannot get in any other medium. Totally agree. I really believe that. Um, and the the cleverness of the writing, the variety of the endings, the way that each decision works as if it were reality is powerful. And sure, the gameplay isn't the most impressive thing in the world, but even within the gameplay, like you said, those limitations, like he embraces them. Like he knows this is an 16-bit SNES-inspired game and he commits to that aesthetic but then he also takes all of those preconceived notions and turns them on their head and because of that like each person i i I truly believe each individual who plays this game is going to be blown away is going to have his own unique experience and is going to see their specific values translated into a video game in a way that no other video games can't do and like i said like he's i feel like he's kind of going for a little bit more of a liberal ideology i mean you've got like the the two dog knights who end up getting into a gay relationship transgender Um, robot yeah yeah alphys is a chick who is like in love with you and your main character is a, a small human girl and so it's like yeah there's some free sexuality concepts going on there um but i think in the true in the true meaning of liberalism which is i think founded in the constitution constitution of the united states like the most freedom that an individual can have giving the individual as much autonomy as can be possible in the real world Undertale takes that reality and realizes it in a video game in a way that no other video games have. And because of that, you can have a powerful experience and one that is not limited to one gameplay or one run through. Because because if you if you don't get the ending that you want, if you're dissatisfied, you can jump into it and get a whole new experience thereafter. And because of those 93 different endings, it has so much replayability. Yeah. 
and because of that it is a powerful video game um, and one that has defined the industry at large I would say and because of that I think it should be entered into the hall of games very easily so if you have no objections Jared I am going to place Undertale into the Hall of Games. Go for it. Any objections? No, not none at all. All right. Kachunk, Undertale is another game in the Hall of Games. I think the most recent title we have allowed into the Hall of Games since I think Immortals was the last one. Um, so we have had a bit of a layover since the last one, which is very interesting because the game we talked about last week was Mario plus Rabbids, right? Which was very much a gameplay focus. Like if you had to make an argument about Mario plus Rabbids, it's the gameplay that puts yes. it into the hall yes. of games. Right. But then Undertale, it's not the gameplay. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that puts it into the hall of games. But nonetheless, here it is because on its own, its own experience it is well worth it, whereas Mario Plus Rabbids kind of has that awkward um, streak to it. So, with that said, we have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about the podcast. Drop us a five-star review. Check out our past episodes for more backlog in-depth conversations. I just recently went back and listened to our Okami HD podcast, which I think we've kind of mischaracterized as an unfair verdict but really listening back on that podcast reminded me of the flaws of that game and showed me that yeah i I don't think it was worthy of the hall of games so go back and check out some of our previous episodes next time as far as i am concerned jared we are covering dark souls for the first time on this podcast are you committed to that yeah, I'm committed, but I'm trembling in my casual shorts right now. <laughs> Which is an appropriate response <laughs> to having Dark Souls being a nominee. So be looking out for that next episode. Again, I'm trying to deal with some academic problems. So uh, might be a couple of weeks, but we will get to that title soon. Be sure to drop us a five-star review if you can. We certainly appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you agree with our decision. And if you don't, tell us why. Until then, this is the Video Game Bard. And remember, regardless of what happens, be determined.